Engel. The Undecideds, or how certain drug lords influenced the new pop culture. We're in the 1980s. Hip-hop is starting to emerge. Cocaine is already everywhere. And soon, crack will be making a dramatic entrance in the ghetto. This unprecedented consumption will allow some dealers to become the kings of the streets and represents the new role models for their community. The Undecideds is going to tell you the journey that eight of these men went through, the harsh and brutal truth. These are the tales of millionaire drug dealers who have a direct impact on the phenomenal success of hip-hop. Think of Dr. Dre, Tupac, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, and so many others. Would they have become such pop culture icons if certain paths were never crossed? Without passing judgment, without glorifying it, the Undecideds will guide you through the troubled backstage of hip-hop to its rise onto the worldly stage. So if you don't know, now you'll know. Episode 7, Richard Rich Porter. Harlem, 1988. The internet and social media don't exist yet. But a charismatic young drug dealer is already a major influencer with an extravagant lifestyle. In his own social circles are big names like LL Cool J. He'd go on to inspire Jay-Z, Puff Daddy, and plenty of other rappers. Later, they'd all share stories of the young prince who made Harlem his kingdom. His name is Rich Porter. Rich Porter was born on July 26, 1965 in the heart of Harlem, New York City. He was the eldest of three children. The family lived a quiet life near Sugar Hill in Upper Manhattan. In the 1920s, this upscale neighborhood would be home to black celebrities. It welcomed African-American families fleeing the Jim Crow South, looking for better opportunities during the Great Migration. But over time, Harlem became the outskirts of Manhattan. In the 70s, the borough suffered a total breakdown. Ravaged by crime and drugs, Harlem wasn't the hip and gentrified part of town it is today. In the 70s, those who managed to get out were lucky. Those who stayed were often the poorest, the least educated, and of course, those whose lives were most affected by drugs. In Harlem, drugs were so easy to get, so easy that drug use there was 12 times more than the national average. Just a 15-minute subway ride from Wall Street, Harlem's landscape of condemned buildings and boarded-up shops was a stark contrast, a tragedy that extended from 110th Street to 155th. Young Richard grew up in this reality and knew a life outside of Harlem was possible. Somehow, he'd have to try and build a future for himself and his family. Richard, or Rich as his friends called him, realized at a young age that not having money was the worst thing that can happen to a family. Always resourceful, at nine years old, Rich got his first job bagging groceries at the local supermarket. Always ambitious, he timed the cashiers to figure out who were the fastest. The quicker they rang up customers, the more tips he made in a shift. At the end of the week, Rich would take the money he earned and buy newspapers to resell to any fortunate neighbors who had steady jobs. Pretty smart for a nine-year-old. As a teenager, Rich knew he had to count on himself. So at 12, egged on by the older kids on the block, Rich started selling joints. Young neighborhood kids were always chosen because if caught, the police would usually let them go the same day rather than keeping them locked up overnight. 
Rich was running a healthy business, but at a dollar a joint, real money was still out of reach. To fix this, Rich would have to use his street smarts. Weed sold well, but he knew some customers would do anything for hash. Unfortunately, Rich didn't know where to find it. He thought, hell, if they want hashish, I'll get them hashish. Rich would cook up a mixture of eggs and sage that he put in the oven and then cut it into slices. Once packaged, buyers couldn't tell the difference. Rich sold the knockoff hash at one slice per buyer. Rich still wanted to take his game up a notch. Harlem was full of old bosses ready to offer advice. One such guy was a man named Chiz. He was a former right-hand man of Bumpy Johnson, godfather of Harlem through the 50s and 60s. Chiz would become young Rich's mentor, giving him this important piece of advice. Be careful not to associate with people who just want to make money. Make sure to team up with people who want to make money with you. Even though he laughed off these words at first, Rich understood the old man's warning. Meanwhile, in the streets, customers wanted a better high. First, cocaine ruled the streets in New York, followed by crack not too long after. Rich wanted in on the drug trade. From a young age, he had been working with addicts and dealers. This crazy life was a part of his daily routine. Getting involved in the drug business didn't worry him. He needed that money for himself, his mother, his sister Patricia, and his younger brother Donnell. He didn't have a problem going after it. Rich cruised the Harlem streets day and night looking to make right connections. One night, he met another ambitious young dealer, Donald Johnson, a.k.a. L.A. Now, he was a real hustler. L.A. was the youngest in the neighborhood to have his own car, an all-black Saab 900 Turbo. At 15 years old, he had already made a lot of money from dealing. Known as a big basketball fan, he bet a couple of hundred dollars on streetball games for fun. A friendship is born between L.A. and Rich, but they shared a dream, one that was different from Ronald Reagan's America. The two started working together and quickly became inseparable. It wasn't long before the money started to flow. Rich and L.A. set up like big shots with beepers and cell phones. In the early 1980s, these perks were usually reserved for doctors, lawyers, or CEOs of major companies. One day in the neighborhood, the two partners ran into an old acquaintance, A.Z. Faison, a friend from elementary school, who at that time was working in a laundromat. A.Z. saw his childhood buddies driving big cars. Like many young people, he'd seen the hit movie Scarface. It made an impression. He wanted to change his future. He was convinced he had to get into the business. Seemed like to me after the movie Scarface came out, coke was everywhere and prices was cheap. Rich in L.A. would set him up with his first couple of grams. AZ proved to be a good salesman. He had his own method. He didn't sell bags at the usual $50 a pop. He sold $10 bags, which went fast in his territory. He made so many trips back and forth to pick up dope that Rich started asking how he was moving so much so quickly. AZ explained, yeah, it took time to prepare the bags, but the thought of buying dope for just 10 bucks kept him coming back. Volume made all the difference. Rich and L.A. were impressed and brought this tactic to their own territories right away. Rich's flair for marketing added the finishing touch. One day at school, he stole a stamp off his teacher's desk. He used to mark every Coke bag he sold on the corner of 145th in Amsterdam with only two words, much better. It worked. 
How could anyone doubt the quality with a catchphrase like that? In only a few months, Rich rose to first in his class, on the streets that is, and bought his first car, a BMW. This started the Rich Porter legend. All of Harlem would see him rolling, driving $50,000 cars with outfits and jewelry to match. He started a trend by cruising with the driver's seat dipped back low. He was quickly becoming Harlem's newest prince. No one caught the street kid's attention like Rich did. With the front row seat to all of this, AZ would say that Rich in L.A. were bigger than the Jackson 5 in Harlem. Rich kept a low profile during the day, but at night at the Rooftop Club, he put on a show. The Rooftop was the place in Harlem to be seen. The club was a roller disco where every night the DJ Brucey B put together the best disco and soul tracks to make Harlem dance. This is the world famous Brucey B straight from the Rooftop. We worldwide right now. You're listening to the underside is Harlem. You already know how we do uptown style, baby. It's the world famous Brucey B on the check-in. <laughs> All the finest people were there. Dealers, their buyers, and new artists like Teddy, a young Harlem musician who goes every night to get inspiration at the rooftop. One night, Teddy asked Rich and AZ for help getting into the drug business. But Rich and AZ didn't like recruiting kids. They told him to focus on his music career. Good advice. Just a few years later, Teddy Raleigh would introduce the world to New Jack Swing, and in 1991, would produce Michael Jackson's album Dangerous. One night in 1984, after a performance by Brucey e. B, the rooftop was closing up. The last customers were leaving the club. Among them, dressed to the nines, was L.A. He was ready to finish off a fine evening with some special company when the night shifted gears. Shots ring out. The remaining crowd scatters, some running on 155th Street, others returning to the club. L.A.'s hit and hurt badly. Rich had warned L.A. not to go to the club so often. They weren't keeping a low enough profile. As dealers, they had made a few enemies. But this was no time for I told you so. A crowd formed in front of the Harlem Hospital Center. About 100 people were there for L.A. Despite the best efforts of emergency doctors, L.A. died that night. And a part of Harlem nightlife died with them. The rooftop closed a few weeks after the shooting. Rich knew nothing would be the same. He wasn't worried about just cops. He had rivals now. Rich started wearing a bulletproof vest and always carried a 9mm pistol. Always looking over his shoulder, he wanted to be prepared. It wouldn't take long to prove him right. One day in 85, while Rich was getting his car washed, two shooters came after him. Rich fired back and the gunman ran away. The result, more fear than harm. But Rich got arrested and charged with the legal possession of a weapon. He spent one long year on the infamous Rikers Island. Meanwhile, AZ Faison was working hard to make the business grow. AZ was the opposite of L.A. No nightclubs, no jewelry. His only guilty pleasure? Beautiful cars. Fresh out of jail, Rich would join forces with AZ and another young East Harlem dealer named Alberto Alpo Martinez. Rich had supplied Alpo in the past and given AZ the green light to work together. AZ would say, out of all of them, it was Alpo who loved money the most. Rich was loved all over Harlem. Alpo was the muscle and AZ the strong silent type. 
the new Harlem trio was unstoppable. The different personalities worked well together. Business boomed like in the good old days. The trio went from being princes to the kings of Harlem. It was pretty common to see young rappers spending lots of time with them. Drug dealers like Rich became inspiration for rhymes about the glamorous side of street life. But most rappers forgot to write about the consequences. LL Cool J, a local rapper who became a star in Hollywood, would tell in his tracks all about Rich and AZ and how they spent their days laughing and riding together in the neighborhood. Other stars would meet Rich in Harlem. Salt and Pepper, Heavy D, Eric B and Rakim, and even a young Puff Daddy. Coming uptown, you know, I looked up to those rappers and I didn't, I, I pieced it all together when I saw it, like, oh shit, I look up to the rapper, but that rapper looks up to these street guys. Rich's legendary status continued to grow. He changed cars like changing sneakers. In total, he would own more than 40 luxury cars, all paid for in cash, like his Porsche 944 Turbo, $75,000, all held in a brown paper bag. Rich Porter and his partners were the first African-Americans to own BMW convertibles in New York City. All luxury cars called for a full display. Legend has it, Rich never wore the same things twice. It became a fantasy for rappers and young people of that generation. But in reality, Rich was selling 50 grand worth of crack every week to make it happen. In his autobiography, AZ said he jumped a young man who was photographing him. AZ thought he was an informer. Panicked, the young man said he just wanted to show his New Jersey buddies how the Harlem Trio lived. Rich literally created fads. The stories people told would help build up the legend. Everyone wanted to see him, meet him, own a piece of his ghetto fairy tale. But just when everything seems perfect, reality has a way of bringing you back down. One August evening in 1987, AZ went to a Bronx apartment on 169th Street with a dealer friend. They were only going to pick up some cash, but when they opened the door, three masked men came at them. AZ got beat with a bat. One of the attackers said to tell where the safe was hidden. When the streets is watching, you can't hide. And the streets have been watching AZ and his partners for a long time. They saw all the cars, the finest clothes, and the $500 basketball bets. They wanted a piece of that action. In the apartment, it was all out. Yelling, threats, and weapons. When they couldn't find the safe, the three amateur gangsters started to panic. At 2.30 a.m., people in the neighborhood reported hearing gunshots. The police were called and emergency vehicles arrived on the scene. Three lifeless bodies were discovered, shot dead, their hands cuffed behind their backs. The three survivors, AZ among them, were taken to Lincoln Hospital in life-threatening condition. AZ was hit three times in the leg, twice in the head, and once in the neck, shoulder, and hand. Miraculously, he survives. The three suspects were later caught thanks to clues AZ gave the police. Among the suspects was Kevin Clark, one of AZ's sister's ex-boyfriends. On the night of the robbery, AZ recognized his voice under his mask. Each one of the gunmen get 112 years in prison. 
Odds are Henry Bolden and Ronald Timmons will never set foot on a city street again. The brazen killers were sentenced to 112 years to life for the execution-style murders of three and the shooting of three other Bronx people in 1987. AZ took his survival as a sign and didn't want to tempt fate any longer. Once back on his feet, he told Rich and Alpo that he was getting out of the game and said they should do the same. L.A.'s death and A.Z.'s sudden departure made Rich think. All the fighting, the addicts, the police. He would carry on, but all the time he was thinking about the future. And his future was going to be in Florida. For Rich, this was a place to raise his two children. A.Z. congratulated Rich on his decision. A.Z. asked Rich to join a rap group he had put together, Mob Style. Rich gave him a serious look and then smiled. Can you imagine Rich Porter rapping? You have to understand that for Rich, rap was a business for kids. It was the young guys who fantasized about Rich and his lifestyle. He couldn't lower himself to that. He was more popular and had more money. Above all, he was a real deal, true OG. Not some lame kid just rapping about wanting to be part of that life. Away from Florida in the rap business, Alpo began showing off more than ever. So much so that Rich asked him to chill out. Rich knew a few things. On the streets, the informers, the cops, everyone wanted to see them go down. And it didn't take long for things to start going south. On December 5th, 1989, while Donnell, Rich's little brother, was on his way to school, a van pulled up on 134th Street. A hooded man jumped out, grabbed the 12-year-old, and shoved him into the van and sped away. On the phone, the kidnappers told Rich to pay their $500,000 ransom. Rich went crazy. He told the blackmailers that he didn't have that kind of money. After negotiations, the kidnappers lowered the ransom to $350,000. The next day, with no news from Rich, kidnappers told Donnell's family to go to the McDonald's at 125th and Broadway. A family friend showed up and was told to look for a cup under the sink in the bathroom. The cup seemed empty, but after a second look, he discovered Donnell's index finger, along with the ring bearing his initials. In shock, he followed other instructions that were left on the audio cassette. On the tape was Donnell's pleading voice. Against Rich's advice, his sister Patricia contacted the FBI. The police put the family under surveillance to trace the kidnapper's trail. On January 3rd, 1990, the family received a call. Did they find Donnell? Was he okay? But something worse was coming. The FBI had found a body in the bushes in Orchard Beach Park, northeast of the Bronx. The body wasn't Donnell's. It was Rich Porter's. Shot in the head and chest several times, he was found with $2,239 in cash in his jacket. So he wasn't killed for the money. The family, his relatives, his partner AZ, the entire neighborhood were all in shock. Rich's funeral was held on January 10th, 1990. All of Harlem came out to pay their respects. Richard Porter was only 24 years old. Twelve days later, Stanley Harvey, one of Rich's associates, was also found dead. A bullet to the head in an abandoned building on 132nd Street. The bad news kept coming. On January 28, 1990, little Donnell's body was found 
not far from where they dumped Rich Porter. A few months later, an investigation revealed it was AZ's own uncle who had kidnapped Donnell. He decided to kill him after realizing the family wouldn't pay the ransom. What remains of the flamboyant Rich Porter? During his lifetime, Rich Porter was a legend in Harlem. He became a New York icon. His fashion trends and lifestyles helped build the foundations of the New York rap culture from the late 1980s to present day. City kids in the Big Apple dream of the hustler who came from nothing to become a neighborhood hero. He was the idol of so many, Puff Daddy, 50 Cent, and ASAP Rocky. Even Jay-Z wrote a line in his rhyme, the twin brother of Rich Porter separated at birth. His legacy lives on in the cult film Paid in Full, produced by Dame Dash and Jay-Z. A biopic of the real Richard Rich Porter. Makai Pfeiffer, known for his role in the TV series ER and the movie 8 Mile, played the part of Rich Porter. I get love out here in Harlem, man. I done sold coke on these streets, man. Hash, weed, heroin. Puff Daddy, a product of Harlem and the richest rap personality, would also take inspiration through Rich's story for his album, Money Making Mitch. Maybe Rich should have rapped after all. He could have released albums, made music videos, and held concerts like AZ and his rap group Mob Style. He might have been better off rapping stories about drug life rather than living it. The rumors around Rich's murder have not quieted over the years. One of the most persistent is that Alpo, Rich's friend and partner, killed him. Alpo might not have liked how Rich was handling business. Rather than discussing it, Alpo thought it would be best to take matters into his own hands. As unlikely as it seemed, Alpo himself would confirm the rumors were true. For Alpo, business came before friends. The question is, did I, did I have anything? To, did I kill Rich? Yeah. Yes. The old boss Chiz told them long ago, don't team up with people who just want to make money. Team up with those who want to do it with you. Maybe Rich Porter paid for not remembering. Find the playlist related to the episodes on all the streaming platforms and on theundersiders.com. The Undersiders is produced by Angle and created by Francois Cousset. Sound production by V in Paris, France. Original scores by Max Zippel. English version narrated by Ellis Park and recorded at Lotus Productions in New York City. Find more episodes of The Undersiders anywhere you find podcasts and on theundersiders.com. <laughs>